work down there. You don't want yeah. to put it in there. It'll pick it up. <coughs> okay. It, it picks it up way out here too. Okay, that's good. Well, been a rather pleasant week actually. Kind of quiet. And I'd like us to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And as we were looking at Hebrews 11 last week, we saw all of these people who, by faith, gained a, a good report from God. People who were faithful, whether it be Abraham or or Abel, the first child that was born into the world, each of these had good report. Uh, we have Isaac and Jacob and his sons, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, these various people that by faith acted and did what God wanted. And we see Noah in there also who built an ark and, and the world was flooded. God warned him that the world was going to be flooded and so he, he believed God and acted accordingly and built this ark according <coughs> to God's direction. And, and then we see that this, the, there's a long list here, beginning chapter, verse 32, and he gives a list of people that he said uh, time would fail in. He says, uh, verse 32 says, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, <clears throat> who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. You know, these are things that we see, and each of these is a positive thing. But right at this point, he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings of scourge and scourgings, yea, and moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with a sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and, and in dens and caves of the earth. 
And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So we see all of these people and their faithfulness to God, whether they were being blessed or whether they were being tortured and persecuted, they trusted in God and had faith. So they chose rather to have, uh, they not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Resurrection of those who were martyred, who were slain for the sake of Jesus, or for the sake of, of God, I mean, whether Jesus, but these were people that believed, and their belief sustained them even through torture. <clears throat> So this is a long list of the faithful who did not receive the promises. Notice that uh, back in uh, verse 13 it, of this same chapter, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were sinners and pil pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from, which they, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, where Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God has prepared this city for them and for us. So here they did all these things by faith and did not fully receive the promise that was made to Abraham. <clears throat> so they, and then this, verse 40 that I did not read before says the same thing. Here's the reason. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. They, God is waiting for the church to come in. For the New Testament saints to come in and to join those faithful of the Old Testament who are waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. They're waiting for us, waiting for each of us to, to see our lives. They, they have already passed on, but they have obtained a good witness from God of, for their actions, for their lives, for their faithfulness for doing what God said. Even we think of Rahab. She was not an Israelite, but she received those spies that came into the land. She said, I know that your God is going to provide for you. I know he's going to uh, give this land to you, and we are all going to be gone. And she received those spies into the land 
and basically put them up and protected them. And God saw her faith that she believed God. And she was not destroyed when the rest of the city failed, when the rest of this, when the city collapsed and, and God, God's people came and destroyed the inhabitants of that city. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm having trouble with my voice. Here, some water. I got some. All right, maybe that'll help. So <clears throat> there were there were others. <clears throat> excuse me. There were others who were faithful through hard times, through persecution, and and they were faithful through those times, and they received a good report. And yet they did not receive the promises. That those verses 39 and 40 said they didn't receive the promises because, because God in his foreknowledge and mercy made them wait for us who believe so that we will all receive the full inheritance together. Together with the Old Testament and the New Testament saints. I thought that was an interesting thing that God would have mercy and not allow them to receive the promises ahead of us. That's a very interesting thing. It's mentioned uh, about three or four places here. Verses 39 and 40 and verse 13 and, and other places here in Hebrews. It says they did not receive the promises and have not received them yet. They're waiting for us. Wherefore, this is chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is that saying to us? Now, he, the author of the book of the Hebrews is talking to Christians, Hebrew Christians. He says, therefore, or wherefore, we have reason to believe that we are, all of these people are waiting and watching us as we go through our lives, just as they did. And these are those witnesses. And he says, therefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Anything that would hinder us in our walk with God. Let's get rid of that. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We don't know what that race might be. Whether we'll be given easy times. As Americans, we've experienced some of the most <coughs> wonderful times ever. We've been, we've had luxuries that these people never even imagined, couldn't imagine. And yet we have a race to run also. 
we have a, a course that God lays out for each and every one of us. And it says, let us get rid of anything that would hinder us in that race, no matter what it might be. So we run the race that is set before us. You know, there's a course laid out for your life and for my life, for each one of us. We don't know what that course might entail. You know, as long as we're still alive, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We might have the troubles that some of these others had as well. You know, I, I see the, the faithfulness. I think of Elijah. And I, I went back and I read the account of Elijah in 1 Kings, where he had gone to King Ahab and said, all right, King, God is upset with you. God is angry with you. He's not going to send rain for the next several years. He said, until I say he's, and he, as the prophet of God, he said, until I say it's going to rain, it's not going to rain. And then God told him to go hide himself by the brook Cherith, where he was fed <clears throat> he was fed morning and evening, both bread and meat. And he drank out of the brook until that brook dried up because there wasn't any rain falling. And he was sent to a, a, a widow woman and he says, get in verse 9 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings, it says, And get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. And dwell there, behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. <coughs> and as she was going to fetch, fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat, eat it, and die. They were having a famine in this land, and this poor woman didn't have but a little dab of meal and oil to make a cake for her and her son. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Well, she knew how much meal was in that barrel, and he says, Make me a cake first, and then you can make more for your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, 
until the day that the Lord sendeth the rain upon the earth. See, that, that little dab of meal and a little bit of oil isn't going to run out. You're not going to be hurting. Everybody else around us is going to be, but the, that, that barrel of meal isn't going to fail. And the oil is going to be there every time you went go to use it. And it was more than a year after that that they lived off of that little bit of oil and meal. It that was there. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. <laughs> Many days on a handful of, of meal and a little bit of oil. She acted in faith. That takes a lot of faith when your child is about to die, you think, of, self, of starvation. You and your child are both going to die because there's nothing else coming. But the prophet comes and says, all right, here's a, here's a, a blessing for you. Okay, but let's go on. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so, so sore that there was no breath left in him. He died. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Did you come here to kill my, my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come again unto him, come unto him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother and said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You know, here they'd been living for about a year, I guess. And yet at this time she says, now I believe. <laughs> you know, they had been eating out of that little handful of meal that she had in the barrel for a year. But this brought, brought it home to her that Elijah was indeed a prophet of God. She called him that. She understood that he was. 
but this brought it home and made it real to her. Sometimes God makes things real to us. We understand things, or we know things, but we don't really understand until God brings it home to us. She feared that she had lost her child, but God made it possible for that child to live again. Just as it says here, women received their dead raised to life again. She did. This is one of the things that is being referred to here in Hebrews. So, I wonder what does it take to bring us to our knees and to realize that God is real, that he is reliable, that he is faithful, and he's able to do anything that he says he will do for us. That, that, that's the testimony of the, that's the testimony of the Lord that's, that's shown in the account of the scriptures, which we'll get to later. Yes. <laughs> but that, that our, the faith of these patriarchs, these ones that come before us, is a testimony to, to, to even a, to us, this generation. Yes. That the, when you place your faith in the Lord, you believe in the Lord and do these things which he's commanded us to, that, that he does what he says he's going to do. Absolutely, and that he does take care of his people. Yes, you know he's not a he's not a god of confusion. He's not a god of of sitting on his hands, but he takes care of his people. And even in that in that particular instance of the of the widow and her son, that's written all over the the testimony that the Lord provides yes. for his people. And what it takes, what it takes on our part, Amen. is faith to believe that God will do what He has said He will do. You know, whether He said that that barrel of meal, that little handful of meal in the bottom of your barrel, is going to be there for a year, and we're going to eat off of that for a whole year. Whether it's a barrel of meal or five little fishes and two two little loaves of bread to feed thousands of people God is able but he does that so that people might believe that they might have faith in him not not just to show off no it's to say God, if God says he will do something for you, he still has things he requires that you believe, that you put your trust in him, that you have faith, and that your faith not waver. I think her faith wavered for a moment when she found her child dead. But when she would, her son's life was restored, her faith was renewed. You know, we, we are human, and we have times when our faith wavers. But we need to be relying on God and realize that He 
doesn't fail. So, as we are called to lay aside the things that would hinder our faith, hinder our walk with God, uh, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He said, it's not every weight. You know, if you're running a race, you don't want to be carrying your barbells around with you on that race. You let, That's for your training. You lift weights before you run. You do your exercises and your stretches and all that before you run. You don't do them in the middle of the race. But the race is set before us and, we're, and it's time and we need to be walking the walk that God would have us to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus did. And he won. He paid the price. The price was his own life. His own blood, the mockings, the scourgings, the crown of thorns on his head. All these things were part of his job. Part of what his course was. That, that was the course that he was given from God. He was commissioned to come and do that for us. So we need to consider him and what he went through for us. <clears throat> consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. This is supposed to be for us to learn from and to have our minds strengthened knowing that Jesus went through worse things than we ever will. No matter what we might go through, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And it may come to that. There were those that were slain by the sword and by famine, and, and they were persecuted, made to go out and live like animals out in the desert. Says that the world was not worthy of these people. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And here we have such luxury as we have in this country. It's almost embarrassing. But we need to remember that we haven't yet strived, striven against sin to that point. And ye have forgotten, this, this is verse 5 of chapter 12, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. 
For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, that is illegitimate, and not sons. God chastises those of his own that go astray, corrects us, brings us back into the path. This is a training session. And the training may take some correction. <laughs> we may need to be corrected regularly even. But our Father is merciful. And he says, all right, you've done the wrong thing. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to change? You have an opportunity. You know, I had times as a kid when I needed the board applied, the board of education. <laughs> yes, I was educated with a, a, a stick across my behind a couple of times that I remember. Maybe more than that, I've forgotten. But we need to realize that God loves, loves us and he chastens us and scourges every son whom he receiveth. He'll receive you, but he has expectations of us. And when we do things that aren't, that are contrary to God, we deserve just punishment, correction, whatever it takes. It says, but if you be without chastisement, if God doesn't care enough to correct you, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. You know, when we're corrected of God, that just says he loves us and cares for us and wants us to, to have the full promise of what he has promised instead of the things that would keep us from those promises. He says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather, or uh, wouldn't you rather have this? Shall you not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. That is our earthly parents, our earthly fathers. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Partakers of the nature of God. As his children. We should. We have a right. We have a responsibility. But with with that blessing comes, comes the responsibility of doing what God would have us to do. 
Well, here in chap chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That, that word exercised is you, you've been trained, you've been taught, you've been instructed, and you learn by your failures, and you learn to do what God wants you to do. It's not pleasant to be corrected and say you're doing it the wrong way. That's not joyous. It's grievous. He said, oh no, I messed up again. But afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are trained by that. Exercise. Uh, the correction did some good. We've changed and we've come to be more like our Lord and Savior. Verse 12 says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. This is the picture that's being painted here is the lame is pushed out of the way and the, and the others run on by. They're disqualified in the race, so to speak. He says, you don't want to be turned out of the way. You don't want to, you want rather have it healed. And that is what this correction is for. It's for our healing, for our growth, for our, it says make straight paths for your feet. Not crooked wandering off here and there and going somewhere else other than where God would have us to. Doing other things that distract us from serving God. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, well, but let it rather be healed. We have that choice. We either listen to what God says and correct our ways, let him correct our ways so that we might be changed. It goes on, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. What does that say? If we don't fall, if we're causing trouble, we're a troublemaker up with other people and, and not following peace with all men and holiness holiness even not just peaceful but holiness without which no man shall see the Lord he's saying that there's a blessing in serving the Lord partaking of the nature of God has has its blessing but if you don't do that there's a curse that comes with it Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. 
This is required <laughs> that we change. It's required that we grow, that we become the children of God more and more, day by day. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. That wasn't God's will, but he did. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that they should not be spoken to them anymore. He's talking about Israel when they're out in the desert, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and brought back the commandments of God. They said, we don't want to have to hear God speak. We want you to go up and you be our intercessor. You be our go-between. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses, he went up on that mountain. He was the one that God called to come up there and receive those commandments. But he didn't do it without trepidation. He was scared, and rightly so. But ye are come unto the Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. He says, You're, this is not Mount Sinai that we're talking about here. We have, a be have better sacrifices than they had. We have a better redeemer, a better high priest, all of those things. You're come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the real thing. That's what Abraham was looking for. To an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Those who have gone on before. And to Jesus, the mediator of a, the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That sacrifice was better than the one that Abel made. Abel's sacrifice was received of God, the first son born to man. But Jesus made a better sacrifice yet. 
See that you see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. If we don't hear God, we'll have a much worse time than they did. It says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. That's God himself. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, the, this idea signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. We're talking about the heavenly kingdom. That one is real. This earth is not. The things that can be shaken, whether it's an earthquake or whether it's the destruction of all living things on it. This can be shaken. But there are things which cannot be shaken. And those are the things that we look forward to. That was the kingdom, that city built of God that Abraham looked for. We need to enter into that same search in our, through our own lives, the race that is set before us. We have a different race than Abraham had. Each of us has a separate race from each of the others of us here. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Wow. How are we going to respond? I've seen children when they were spanked that went out and did something worse. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> what about us? How are we going to respond to God who in his mercy has made these provisions for us? Even sending his own son Jesus, his only begotten son, because he loved us and cared for us. And he cares enough to correct us when we need him. Are we going to be trained by that and corrected and learn to walk as we should, as God's children, as, as those who love our Father? This is the choice we've got. And we have to remember that our God is a consuming fire. Moses wasn't allowed to look on the face of God. He was scared when he went up on the mountain. We need to act in fear too, just the way Noah did. He acted in fear and spent his life building a, a boat. 
not just a boat, but an ark to the saving of his life, his, his children, and the animals that survive to this day. Now we act according to what God has laid out for us, what he instructs each of us. But to learn God's ways is what he wants. And he teaches us, corrects us, instructs us, chastises us when, we, when we're going the wrong way. But even when the woman was caught in sin, Jesus said, where are thine accusers? If God doesn't accuse us, he says, neither, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This woman that was caught in adultery, we know about that story. But he says, go and sin no more. That's the important part of that lesson. She was fearful for her life because the law said, stone her, put her to death. But Jesus said, let, let him who is without guilt cast the first stone. <laughs> we know that story. But God is merciful. He says, go and sin no more. And that is, that is for us. When we failed God in anything, it doesn't matter what it is, he says, go and sin no more. We need to take that training, that correction to heart and change our lives. And if anything is in our way, any, any weight that doth beset us, the sin that doth so easily beset us, that's not talking about somebody else. That's each of us. We need to put, get rid of those things so that we can do the will of God, the race that is set before us. Thank you. Thank you.